Welcome to the Dogsthorpe Infant School, part of Hampton Academy's Trust. Captain Dave and Eddie are ready to take you all on another learning journey. Eddie has his paw on the countdown button, so sit back and relax. It's time to dream, believe and shine. Five, four, three, two, one. guest on this episode of Launchpad is Charlotte Olson and she is from Susie Books. It's good to have you with us Charlotte. Could you tell us a little bit about what what you do and and what's got you to this stage in your career? Yeah um yeah basically I gave up my teaching assistant's job about 11 years ago and I've always liked writing when I was younger and decided to sort of put pen to paper and write about our own experiences to help children, teachers, parents. They're they're available in bundles. You can purchase them as a PDF. So, yeah, anybody, they're they're useful for anybody, what age, whatever um, scenario helps them. If teachers want to find out what you offer, how can they go about that? They can find me at my website, which is www.susiebooks.co.uk. Everything is on there. All the titles are on there information about myself, how I came about doing this, and much, much more. And um, what are the sorts of topics do you offer? Yeah, um, the topics are they're based on our own sort of personal experiences, some of them. Um, the latest published book is about moving house, so to help a child who's going to be moving house and explaining what might happen in a fun, positive, but simple way. Um, the other topic is going to the dentist which we, none of us like going to the dentist. Going on an aeroplane is another one. Going to school, the hairdressers, because that was a very big no-no in our household for when my son was younger. So so are they character-led? So, for example, do you, is it a character that goes on the plane or are you talking to the, the children or the parents themselves? No, it's the, the, there's two characters. Um, Susie is the main character character but there's also Sammy so um they're both the girl version and boy version and you know for all who likes to read them and and what age range would that be well I generally say sort of two to sort of six I, I have had sort of people come to me with sort of like young adults with additional needs that for example the book was simple enough to help explain about going on an aeroplane. We live in a busy world and it can be very challenging, overwhelming. So to have a positive story to help and ease any anxiousness or, or make the situation easier is, is a great help. You parents who are listening, um, if you've got your child um, who's a bit anxious about going on a plane or going to the dentist or something like that, have a look at, at, at this website, Charlotte's website, because Obviously, Susie Books may have something just for you. Charlotte, it's been wonderful talking to you today. Oh, brilliant. Thank you very much. You're listening to Launchpad. 
the Dogthorpe Infant School podcast. Well, it's time for another EdTech session when we meet a company or a group or a person who's launching something new in the EdTech world. And we welcome Sean to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, you run a company called Kinzoo, don't you? Could you tell us a little bit about what you're offering UK schools? Yeah, definitely. Um, so at Kinzu, basically what we're doing is every day we're trying to kind of challenge the notion of screen time. Uh, we like to ask ourselves, you know, how differently we'd feel about screens if we could only give kids the best of technology and, and what it has to offer. Uh, so we think screens can be fun, they can be engaging, uh, but where technology really shines is when it brings out uh, true connection with others, uh, when it brings out creativity, when it cultivates new skills and interests. So at Kinzu, um, we're basically trying to build experiences around those pillars, and we have three different products, but our showcase product is a messenger product uh, aimed at kids as they're onboarding onto what we call connected technology. So they're not only uh, not just consuming things say, on YouTube, uh, but now they're looking to connect with others, be it friends or family members. And what we're ultimately really trying to do is uh, keep them away from big tech. We don't think uh, companies like Facebook should be the teacher uh, when it comes to onboarding kids onto technology. So we're trying to give uh, parents, families, and kids an alternative um, that's really going to um, focus on what we call productive screen time. And uh, again, on those pillars of connection, creativity, and, and cultivating skills and interests. When we talk about big tech and the big tech platforms, I think more and more uh, it's becoming apparent that they were built with two things in mind, uh, growth and engagement. And they've really been able to uh, drill into basically our, our basic human needs and, and create platforms that are designed to be sticky, that are meant to um, keep an endless feed of content coming. Um, studies show that content uh, continues to get a little more extreme at the more time you spend on the platform. Um, and there's an addictive nature to it, whether you, we use the word addiction or compulsion or, or things like that. But we know that they hack into the dopamine cycle. We know that they hack into things like that. So we have uh, thought extremely deeply on the subject. I've written a book on the subject around how big tech works and how they kind of do some brain hacking meant to grow. And the argument we make is platforms built on those kind of mechanisms um, don't retrofit very well into the kids space. It's very hard to kind of scale them back. And even more fundamental, we have a business um, model issue in that those platforms ultimately are designed to put ads in front of us. So they really work for the advertisers, not the users. And what we're trying to do is explore um, different business models that don't rely on data and tracking and um you know, engaging features that can be addictive uh, to keep us glued to the screens. What we're trying to do is investigate ways to bring out the best of it because we think Facebook is great when it connects people at a very basic level, when kids and grandparents can stay in touch if they're far apart. You know, that's where technology can shine. But again, can we take away the, the negative aspects of it and only focus on, you know, the 10, 20, 30 percent, whatever it might be, that's actually good. And now we're actually really unleashing uh, all the technology has to offer. When it comes to the data, the children's data, who ha has that? Who's, who, how does that keep secure? Is it the school, if, if, you, if it's a school that takes this on? Or is it if a parent says, oh, I, I think that's safer than Facebook? Who has the data? 
Ultimately, it's going to depend on the platforms that are used. Um, so here in Canada and in the U.S., uh, for instance, Google Google Classrooms has made a tremendous inroads. So I think that they're in um, they're the incumbent in more than half of schools. In that case, um, really, Google has exposure to all kinds of data and information. And, you know, it's a real point of contention because um, in technology, there's something called uh, verified parental consent, which basically says when parents come onto a new platform or if kids are going to come onto a new platform, parents are made aware of what data is going to be collected, how it's going to be used. And then there's basically, there's an actual consent mechanism. So the parents have to click a button or, or do things like that. Um, it, with the Google Classroom, that was actually bypassed. So that was not a part of the experience. So kids were going onto the platform. They offer great tools and, and learning tools and things like that, um, no doubt. But the issue we have it, with it is exactly when it comes down to the currency that they trade in, which is the data. So there are good platforms out there. Um, at Kinzu, we've written the terms of use where basically we collect minimal data, um, very minimal. And every piece of data, we actually maintain a mapping kind of spreadsheet. Every data point that we capture, we have to justify there's a reason that benefits our users for keeping that data. Um, it is not about us. It is not about sharing it with third parties. It is not about learning the behaviors of our users so that we can engage them more, um, those sort of things. So ultimately, um, we do have a gap though, because it comes down to what platforms we use. It comes down to their terms of service, which read like a textbook. In many cases, it's hard to kind of go through. So parents are put in a, a tough spot, but what we're trying to do is build a brand that um, parents can trust. And we want to become a partner to parents. And, and this is important because I'm, I'm a father of two and, and um, really I started the company to, to solve my own problem around this. I, I thought there, there had to be better ways and, and we as parents needed companies that actually uh, put the interests of the family above um, the interests of, you know, advertisers, third parties, uh, whatever it might be. Mm, absolutely. And and good on you for that, because um, we need that in this country and we need it around the world because we know that we do know that children are exploited and well, adults are exploited through our data, aren't we? So, you know, we know that our children are. Um, I, I want to return to this when we when we talk about your book a little bit in a, in a little while, but regarding Kinzu itself um, and the and the platform, um, who is it aimed at? Is it aimed at parents? Is it aimed at schools, or is it both? Um, definitely worked with schools. We've um, engaged a, a number of teachers. We've we've definitely talked, and we're trying to figure out. Um, better ways that we can work with schools in the education system. Um, we can be a great, you know, solution to connect a classroom in, in a very secure way, for instance. Um, there are a number of, you know, privacy things that we have to go through. Um, child A might be connected to child B and, and B to C, but A is not connected to C. And, and you have to just make sure that parents have visibility into um, all of that. But yes, to answer the question, we are, we're much more on the consumer side, but I, I would say we sit on definitely in the periphery of, of the education sector because um, the messenger product is aimed at kids primarily in kind of the six to 11 age range, which are, are of course school age. Yeah. So, so the, the parent would, would go on, on your website, for example, have a look and see what you offer, think this is something. And then they, they apply to, to you and they, you can then set up the account. Uh, our, our apps are available on the, on the app store, the uh, Apple yeah. app store. As okay. well as the, so they can um, 
they can download the app, set up their account, start adding uh, family members, connecting to uh, other family members and, and things like that. So basically, um, anybody can, can have access to the apps. Uh, they can download them and, and get started that way. Uh, our website is meant to be um, informative, both on the product, but um, we have a very active blog. We we talk a lot about kind of what's what's new in technology, whether it's um, you know Discord or Among Us or whatever might be topical at, at any given time. And um, you know that's that's back to kind of what we're trying to do as as the Kinzu brand, which is uh, we think better tools and education are needed to help parents kind of navigate um, this very tricky subject called technology. Yeah, I saw your book on on the website. What could you explain to our listeners what it's about? Definitely. Um, so my book is called Screen Captured, and uh, the book really came about. I, I started Kinzu the company, and we were working on uh, designing the product, and we were doing uh, tremendous amounts of research, both user research and external research, into how we wanted to design key workflows, how people connect on the platform, and and, and things like that, and um, as well as the feature set and and what we wanted people to be able to do on Kinzu. What we started to uncover um, was a lot of the, call them tricks or uh, whatever it might be, the, the different ways that um, bigger tech is kind of doing some brain hacking and, and getting us um, addicted to the screens and and, uh, and things like that. And uh, ultimately, when I got, um, what actually led to the book was an experience I had with my daughter when I started to see those same patterns showing up in an app directed to kids and uh, marketed to kids. It's actually a UK based uh, app. And um, so that led me down a rabbit hole. And basically the premise of the book is prior to that, I'd kind of managed my daughter's screen time by the clock. And I said, you get 30 minutes or 60 minutes or whatever it might be. And she had the iPad and uh, I didn't have a lot of visibility to what she was doing. And the unlock for me, it became when, um, it became more important what she was actually doing on that on uh, while she was on the iPad than how much time she was spending. And, and that kind of led me down um, this hypothesis of not all screen time is created equal. We need to look at exactly what they're doing. Um, what I worry about from a safety perspective, and um, it, it's very topical now with uh, the recent news that's come out uh, about Facebook and its impact on, on, on youth and, and young girls, what I talk about in the book um, is what I worry about most with my daughter is this social validation that has been created uh, via, you know, social media is, is basically the tool. And the worry is, is young people are starting to measure uh, their self-worth based on the number of likes they get on posts, based on the number of followers they have and things like that. And what's interesting is those features are very intentionally designed as a way to keep uh, the platform sticky and, and keep us engaged. So it's, a very self-fulfilling thing for the um, platform, but only now we're starting to see kind of the research come out and, and the effect that it's actually having on the brain. And the book really explores that. It explores why big tech is motivated to um, keep us engaged and keep us glued to the screens. And ultimately it comes down to the business model and, and advertising. And then I challenge parents to think about screen time in, in new ways and let's break activities down into positive screen time and then what I call being screen captured where we're kind of being uh, manipulated by algorithms and then you touched on this earlier it's not just the kids uh, it definitely applies to adults as well absolutely it, it harnesses our, our need to be loved we all want to be loved we all want to be popular 
And but they seem to these big companies do seem to be latching on to that. And I've I've watched um, teenage girls, for example, on a bus that have just been taking random pictures and then posting them on. Well, I would imagine that um, some when they were, I watched them do it, I thought to myself, somebody could get hold of that and then find out what buses they're taking, mm-hmm. and they could track them. You know. Somebody could find out. We know for a fact that people find out people's birthdays through photos, and you know, and then that unlocks their bank account. It is, it is a, a very worrying thing. If people want to get hold of this book, because it sounds fascinating, Sean. If if people want to get hold of it, where where can they get it? Amazon, I guess. Yeah, it, it's available on Amazon. Um, it, it's available in the UK. We also have an audio book uh, through Audible, and uh, yes, it, it's readily available. Thank you for today because it's been fascinating talking to you and and, and it sounds like you're a great dad um, who's keeping an eye on his daughter and and, um, I'm sure that she put there are times when she probably thinks oh dad but you know we've we've got to do that parents if you're listening to this I want you to seriously think about your child uh, how whatever their age we've we've got children that we know they're only infants but they've already got a phone. Um, we know that these the, the, the children have got these devices. Do you know what they're doing, parents? Are you aware, like Sean has been saying, do they? are you aware of how much time? And, and maybe this book, you need to have a look at it and see and ask yourself what's going on. Sean, if people want to get hold of your, all your, your details and, and find a little bit more about you and about your book and what you offer, your website, I guess, is the best place? Yeah, I got a few uh, different resources. So uh, Kinzu.com is the company uh, website. If they want to learn about the app, we have a very active blog, um, talk about uh, technology and what's relevant and a lot of the themes that I talked about today. Uh, I do a bi-weekly newsletter um, on Substack and it's called That Digital Dad. Um, so if they were to search Substack, That Digital Dad, um, and there I talk a, a lot about uh, different kinds of technology. I'm on Twitter at That Digital Dad, and uh, those would be the best ways. Great. Well, listeners, if you missed any of that, don't worry. It'll all be attached to the podcast. Sean, thank you for being with us today. and uh, My very best wishes to you over there in Canada. Long may you continue to do the fantastic work you're doing as a company owner and as a dad. Thanks, Captain Dave. Glad to be here. You're listening to Launchpad, the Dogthorpe Infant School podcast. Now, we've got Matt Dix for you now, and he is from, wait for it, Manic Street Teachers. That's right, you heard it right, Manic Street Teachers. It's lovely to have you on the show, Matt. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for the invite. I look forward to, uh, to our chat. Now, when I saw your website and I saw the name, it did make me chuckle because I'm, I'm old enough to remember Manic Street Preachers, but um, <laughs> but what exactly is Manic Street Teachers? Um, it's a school website for largely for Key Stage 2, um, so from Year 3 all the way to Year 6, that's largely got a focus on, because of the name really, it sort of shows you that you, we've got a bit of a focus on music, but there's also a big heavy focus on English as well uh, as one of my passions. And so really it's a, a subscription website um, that teachers can go on uh, and downloaded a, vari- a variety of kind of different resources. Um, and I think the thing that that we've focused on largely over the last couple of years, really, is, is kind of looking at a lot of the latest research. I'm a teacher as well, so I work in school three days a week. 
um, and do this a couple of days a week and, and using those resources and trying them out and seeing what works, but also basing it on, on a lot of the reading that I've been doing outside of school as well. Um, and there's other things as well. So there's history, there's a little bit of math, science, and a lot of um, a lot of songs as well um, that, that children can listen to to support their learning too. The sort of topic-based stuff, I mean, one of the bits of research I was looking at a while ago was things like the use of knowledge organisers in the classroom. Uh, lots of people kind of got on board with that. Some people are sort of seeing the limitations of it a little bit. Um, but it'll be, you know, so with some subjects like history and geography, we've got a lot of knowledge organisers, we've got a lot of multiple choice quizzes that can be done digitally or that can be done on paper. Um, but like I said, largely the majority of, of the sort of key materials would be sort of in the English area. Um, but music wise, um, we've got about sort of 15 to 20 songs in terms of English, in terms of maths and in terms of science. We've not yet gone down the history and other routes. I mean, horrible histories do that quite well. Uh, there's other places that you can kind of get um songs to do with that but it's not something that we're adverse to you know that might be something to look at in the future mm. but for the moment it's those kind of three core subjects that we look at in terms of songs because that whole area of key stage two age children it seems to me that we use music a lot at dogsthorpe infants because they learn counting they learn you know lit the 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 literacy a lot of the songs that they that is about repetitive learning and of course communication and vocal skills all of that but it seems like that um once you get past the age of seven um <laughs> there, there's this there's this huge jump so till in the end that the 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 key stage two the the i'm talking about the corporate world out there wider is um it's they're singing inappropriate songs and the music yes and the music yeah is, i mean it's nice well, i mean not saying they shouldn't have pop songs in their head but it would be nice to have it and that's why i'm really pleased that you're you're putting this on the on the market yeah so um i suppose a, a while ago a few years ago now i was working with another couple of teachers and, and we felt oh there's just not the sort of curriculum based songs that we'd like to sing because we were quite musical a lot of us used to be in bands and, and these kind of there was the three of us at the time and we kind of put our heads together and thought and we just did it for our own school we and our own schools uh, we sort of put together some ideas for some literacy maths science songs but used kind of um modern-ish kind of genres of music to try not to make it patronizing although it tends to end up a little bit fly the concords at times um but that's no bad thing, I don't think. And then, yeah, we kind of put these songs together. They're really well received, not just by the schools, but when we put them online as well. And we were kind of releasing one a week and recording lots of them. And we just felt that actually there's a lot of content, a lot of curriculum content in there, but we, we just want the music to be decent as well. Um, and it's a great opportunity for children to use them in the classroom, use them in assemblies, um, things like that, really. And, and it's not, um, you know, in terms of the research behind, you know, learning through song I think there is much more of that in infant school and it's it's perhaps a little bit more valid but even so you know children will learn will learn choruses will enjoy singing will sing them out on the playground do all those things and it might just be something that can sort of lodge into the memory of some children if you're introducing a maths concept well why not just do a two-minute song here's a song learn it practice it uh, the chorus is all relevant. The music's all right. There's karaoke versions as well. And we just found that um, staff and children were really going for it. And we sort of have branched out since, really. 
At Dogsthorpe Infants, we've we've got two ex pupils who've gone on to greater things. Um, one has been a, a West End star, and uh, the other one is the is a lead singer of a very very well known band. Um, so, uh, all right, okay. <laughs> you you must look him up. But um, the, I will. Yeah, <laughs> you'll have to tell me afterwards. I will do. Uh, our listeners will know because we've we've uh, we've mentioned him. He's very much part of the history. But he he claims in his biography. That um, the 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 music that he, the love of music he got was from uh, us at the infant school, and then he moved next door to the junior school. And he said that between those two schools, by the time he left, he wanted to to perform music. And I think that love of music and the love of singing um, is a very um, well, it's a very spiritual thing as well, isn't it? That it can lift our spirits when we're feeling low. It can. Um, it can help us to reflect, and it's and it's it's a I think it, music is a, just a wonderful aid for children in our schools, and and I don't think it's used enough. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I I used to do a lot of singing assemblies, um, you know, with with the whole of Key Stage Two. So this was in a three form entry school I worked at last year, and um, you know, we're talking sort of you know three hundred children all crammed into the hall this is obviously pre-covid times um and gosh you know just the experience of, of of them working really hard with singing and sort of red-faced and tired at the end of it you know how much they're expressing themselves how much they love it and what i found is through the course of time often what you see is these really enthusiastic year threes that are sort of barking the, the lyrics as much as they can and then you've got these kind of apathetic year sixes that are a bit too cool for school and i think um, it's a real challenge to get the right songs to motivate all those children at the right time. I know some schools sort of do choirs and, and break things up into phases like year one, year two, or year three, year four, etc. I mean, one thing we have just um, created, um, which is a completely free resource on our website, something called the Music Jukebox. And I got in touch with um, a guy that works with Zoom Karaoke. Um, who actually helped me out a while ago when I needed the karaoke song for a year six leavers um, uh, event. And I kind of asked him, look, can I can I put together a kind of online video kind of forum, a bit like kind of sing up, but using loads of pop songs, also songs that are linked to jazz, world songs, Disney songs, but also songs linked to character traits as well. So we've sort of targeted things like you know what let's do a song about motivation let's do a song about respect let's do you know all those kind of things as well um and so we're sort of in the process of building that it's it's online and available now but there's more to come and so with the karaoke versions there already what we're hoping to do is to kind of help direct teachers to certain songs that might be more suitable for key stage two in more sort of areas really um but also you know if they're if they're studying music, if they're looking at a particular musician or a particular genre, they should have it somewhere where there's easy access, where they can go, right, let's sing this. So here's a blues song that's suitable and here's a karaoke song. So, you know, we've vetted them all, we've checked them all, we've got lyrics for them all, we've got karaoke versions for them all. Um, so we're hoping that that, again, is another opportunity to promote that sort of singing in the classroom. Um, and another thing that we've started to do over the last couple of years is something called Musician of the Month, which has um, been really, really popular with a lot of the junior schools that have signed up. And I mean, what I felt when I was teaching was 
often, you know, there's a part of the curriculum that says to study and appreciate different musicians in the curriculum. And I saw schools do lots of different things. So some schools were doing a musician of the week or a classical composer of the week, or um, it was linked indirectly to the curriculum of the particular year groups. What I found is in order to sort of create a sort of a culture of music in the school that if everyone studied the same musician in the same month as a school then they would create more buzz more conversations they would be listening to them in all assemblies um, and they could sort of study different aspects of that musician at the same time so we put together um, a sort of musician of the month for each month uh, over a sort of four-year cycle so they're repeated every four years um, I think this month it was, um, I think it was Gustav Holst. So to do with, you know, looking at the planets, but the resources that we created around it were a variety of different things. So some reading fluency, a little knowledge organizer about Gustav Holst and some quizzes around him as well. Um, we looked at the, the planets as a bit of a reading comprehension as well. So along with videos and when we can do other types of musicians then we'll add them to the music jukebox for singing as well so this would be in the second year I think it was Bjork and so some of the activities were linked to Iceland um, some and we were able to put some of the karaoke versions from karaoke zoom on there that children could have a go at singing as well and we're using the model music curriculum that came out in fact we were a bit ahead of the game there because I started this about two years ago and we're halfway through sort of creating that cycle. And then the model music curriculum came out and I sort of poured over it and had a look over it and thought, we're already doing this. Uh, there was a few things that I could take from it and I sort of amended things a little bit. But then as we created it, you know, we're making sure that we've got uh, a great sort of breadth of variety of diversity of different genres of different world musics of different um years of different classical composers as well from different eras and we've linked all that together with um, posters and timelines and some music history stuff that we've created as well so that when school and if schools decide oh this is for us there's a there's a pack available online where teachers can just load it up and get cracking with it and then that can sort of be celebrated around the whole school and certainly what I found in in, in my previous school last year was um it did really create a buzz and lots of children were talking about musicians that they wouldn't have normally been talking about, uh, particularly in a, in a day and age of, you know, Stormzy and a, a couple of others maybe that they do talk about. Um, we don't, I, in my personal opinion, I don't think we need to be studying the musicians that, that, that they already know, that they already talk about. It should be something different that we think that we can sort of improve their cultural capital I suppose yeah. is the buzzword yeah. what's great about it for myself from a very selfish point of view is I'm learning absolutely loads doing it as well you know I, I was pulling out um, a classical um, musician someone called Ethel Smith who who was rarely heard of and when I looked into her she was actually part of the suffragette movement and she uh, was very against that stereotypical female dress sense she would wear these big coats and have big cigars and bow ties you know and various other, and she was very much against the grain of, of what perhaps we might have thought a classical uh, writer might have been as a female back then and I learned a lot about her and uh, Florence Price I, you know I've been doing some research about her as well she's fascinating you know it, it was amazing I found out only recently that a lot of her compositions were found in a derelict house somewhere in Detroit 
and have been resurrected only mm. over the last few years. Um, and so, again, uh, she was one of the first black uh, female um, classical composers that, that were able to, to do professional performances, you know, in front of audiences in America. So it's not just going and looking at the obvious classical musicians, although that's very relevant and important as well, but it's just finding these other um, treasures that are, that are sort of hidden that haven't been part of the primary curriculum before, and there's absolutely no reason why they can't be. So for all of our listeners, um, and, they, and it go, they go far, far beyond Dogsthorpe and now into the city of Peterborough and Cambridgeshire and even farther, further afield than that and across the country, what would you say to a school that's thinking, oh, I like this guy. Um, where can we find out a little bit more about it? Uh, have you got websites, social media, stuff like that? Yeah, so if you head to, very simply, it's just www.manicstreetteachers.com. Um, and on there, um, there's plenty of free resources as well. So we worked, uh, and I worked with Doug Lamov, who wrote a book called Reading Reconsidered and created a kind of... Um, possible reading spine that schools might be able to use that goes actually from year one all the way to year six and there's other things that we've created like free world book maps uh, for key stage two and a uk book map and so there's lots of free resources that you can download and have a look at as long uh, along with other sort of examples of some of the things that we do so please yeah come along have a look download all the free stuff um, and and see what you think and our twitter handle is just manic street teachers um, we've got a Facebook page as well. Um, and uh, I think we now have an Instagram page. So we're trying to be as, you know, up with the kids as we can. I think <laughs> I think we've actually gone and got a TikTok page, but there's no, there's nothing posted. There's no followers. There's no viewers, but we're thinking maybe one day. Thanks for your time today, Matt. It's been really good. Good luck with the, with your business and with, with the website and keep up the great work because music, as I said, music is important to our children and teachers, parents. If you want to learn more about what Matt's been saying, you've got the details. Uh, as always, all of the social media and everything that's been mentioned by Matt is going to be attached to this podcast. So just ask your smart speaker. Matt, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks very much. Nice to see you. Well, that's it for another week, folks. Captain Dave and Eddie will be back again soon with another launchpad. They'll have more great guests, more places to see, and more interesting things to share on the learning journey. So, until next week, be kind, be respectful, and always remember to dream, believe, and shine.